This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. It's the show about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. I hope you've got the air conditioner where you are. I do, Liz. I'm glad we do. We're lucky to have it, and uh, it is definitely warm, but... uh you know, the safest place to be during a really hot day is, is at home listening to, uh, or in your car, listening to in legal terms. So it's great to be here this morning. Hope you had a good weekend. And, you know, uh, Wills is one of our favorite topics, and, and Kelly Kyle has been one of our favorite guests to, to talk about this topic. So we appreciate Kelly being here this morning. And good morning, Kelly. Uh, can you please remind us about your background? and? Good morning. Practice. Good morning, Professor. Always happy to be here. Uh, I am an estate planning and elder law attorney based right here in Madison, Mississippi, but we also have offices down on the Gulf Coast at Diamond Head and also in North Mississippi uh, in Hernando. We also have an office over in North Louisiana. So we're able to serve clients in uh, three states, Louisiana, Mississippi, and uh, my law partner, Elizabeth Wynn, is also licensed in Tennessee. So we serve clients in those three states doing just what I said, estate planning and elder law. Well, today we're going to be focusing on, on why a person should have a will. Uh, we talk about it, and we've talked about it on the show before, but you know, what, what happens if somebody dies without a will? Well, if you die without a will or any other type of estate plan, then it falls to the court. And in Mississippi, it's the Chantry Court system that is uh, left with the task of determining who your heirs are, determining who will be in charge of your estate, and ultimately uh, going through that nine-month probate process or so, nine months or longer, and determining where that property will get distributed. And again, we say if you don't do estate planning, well, an estate plan will be done for you, but it's that one-size-fits-all, one-size-fits-none plan, really, that the state of Mississippi has in store for you and everybody else who doesn't do planning. Well, you mentioned you have practices uh, in, in Louisiana and Mississippi, and your your partner also in Tennessee. And uh, you know, it uh, you know those those state laws can, can vary too. So, if people own property in different states. Uh, that might have an impact as well, couldn't it? It certainly does. Uh, Liz here in the studio and I were just talking about uh, the difference in uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, and Mississippi probate laws and some little nuances there. Um, and I was explaining how things are different in each and every state. But you brought up a very good point there. Uh, we talked about the probate process a moment ago. And if you happen to own real estate in more than one state, there will have to be a probate in each and every one of those states. And I bring this uh, particular example up quite a lot. Our firm did the ancillary probate a number of years ago for a gentleman who resided in South Florida in Miami-Dade County. As a matter of fact, he had a high-rise penthouse there that was his residence, but he was also in the commercial real estate business, and he had some LLCs and some entities like that, but he owned 
a lot of property in other states solely in his name. So he had really not done a very good job of planning. And uh, the primary probate was done there in Florida. We did the ancillary probate for two properties that were here in Mississippi. But as I understand it, there were parcels of real estate in 36 other states that all had to be individually administered. So think of the uh, tremendous amount of money that was wasted in doing a probate in each and every state when it could have been avoided had some really good planning been done. What's so interesting, you mentioned that uh, the Chancery Court, uh, as directed by the state legislature, will, will create a, an estate plan for you if you don't have one. Um, you know, and if somebody dies without a will. Um, and I, I see numbers that fewer than half of the people in the United States have a will or an estate plan, and that's a little bit concerning. You're absolutely right. And in fact, I think I've seen some numbers recently that said maybe 70% of, of Americans have no estate plan of any kind. None whatsoever. Hey, y'all are y'all didn't read the script. You're stealing some of my uh, my little factoid tidbits for later in the show. If you would like to call and ask a question of our estate planning attorney, we're talking today about estate planning. We've got our guest, Attorney Kelly Kyle. Let's go to the phones and go to Hattiesburg and speak with Nancy. Nancy, we're so glad you've called into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Well, um, I do have a question. We have, my husband and I live in Mississippi, don't have property anywhere else. We have wills and durable powers of attorney that are 17, uh, 17 years old. So we've talked with the attorney here. He has recommended that we put all of our assets into a living trust and that, and then just everything else that didn't get in there would be in a pour over uh, Good question, and I'll be happy to address that. Um, Nancy, if your documents are 17 years old, you definitely need to come in and see someone uh, about getting them up to date. Um, in our firm, we recommend once you have your documents in place, Give us a call or we'll get in touch with you about every three years and we'll be happy to review those documents with you, see if anything has changed in the law, see if anything has changed in your family or other personal situations, and make sure that the documents still reflect what your up-to-date wishes are. Um, you mentioned having a will and uh, with a will, uh, you and your husband probably have everything in joint accounts and you're probably both names on the real estate. So when one of you dies, there would not be a need to probate that will. But when the second spouse passes away, in order for the property to descend to your children or whoever you have in the will, the will will have to be probated. The recommendation that you've received to create a revocable trust would be exactly what I would have recommended had you come in to see me because uh, we do literally hundreds of estate plans for clients throughout the year and probably 90% or more uh, include the use of a revocable trust. So uh, I'm completely on board with what has been recommended for you. 
but uh, you mentioned the pour over will, um, and if anything wasn't in the trust, well, it would go into the trust via the will. That will would still have to be probated, even though it is what we call a pour over will. So the recommendation is get everything in the trust while you're still alive and uh, use the pour over will solely as a safety net that would be probated only in the event that something had been left out. Thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Thank good, you. good to talk to you. Thank you. Let's go to Gaucher and speak with Rick now. Rick, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms today, where our guest is Kelly Kyle, and we're talking about wills and estate planning. Go ahead. Rick, you're going to need to turn off your phone, off your radio or the television or however you're listening to In Legal Terms so that you can just listen through the phone. Go ahead. Oh, okay. How are you doing today? We're great. We want to hear what's up with you. Okay. Uh, well, I recently uh, went to a lawyer, the wife and I, because we're up there in years. Uh, we own our own home here in Gaucher, paid off. And uh, to avoid some of these expensive uh, fees, you know, for estate planning, uh, we don't own anything but the house and a car, and we have a savings account, you know. And uh, the lawyer said I could get what is called a title transfer upon death on, our, on the title or the house deed, excuse me. And, uh, you know, that would that means that my son, upon our death, my son would get the house and I have to go through all this, you know, red tape. Is that true? Very good question. And, in fact, uh, Professor Gershon and Liz and I were exchanging emails this morning. There is a post that goes around on Facebook periodically, and uh, a friend shared it this morning on her page. And it recommends uh -huh. the use of a transfer on death deed as a means of avoiding probate. And, yeah. you know, I don't know where this post originated. I've seen it uh, circulating for several months now. Um, Mississippi does recognize a transfer on death deed. It was authorized uh -huh. by the legislature maybe two, maybe three or so years ago. But it doesn't really have the utility that I think the legislature intended for it to have because while you can uh, prepare the transfer on death deed, file it with the Chancery Court, and it only becomes effective at your death, it doesn't really avoid probate because one of the functions of probate is conveying what we call marketable title to the real estate, meaning that the person who receives it after your death would have the ability to turn around and sell it or do whatever they want to with it at that time. And because the transfer on death deed is not effective as to any creditors that you might have, um, uh -huh. It doesn't really grant marketable title. Uh, a period of three years plus 90 days would have to pass after your death before a title insurance company would really rec uh, recognize that as marketable title. So it has its place if the recipient is going to keep the property for over three years before needing to do anything with it. The transfer on death deed can be effective, but if, as is the case most of the time, they're going to need to turn around and sell it, borrow money against it, something like that, um, you're still oh. going to have to do a probate in order uh, to cut off the creditor claims. So you're talking a probate of three years? 
No, sir. I'm, I'm saying uh, oh. the transfer on death deed transfers title to the property at yeah. your death, but it's not really marketable. In other words, uh, you can't do anything with it until a period of three years and 90 days oh. has passed. That's the statute of limitations, really, uh, for I a creditor see. to come and, and file a claim against your but, estate. But he can rent it. My son can rent it out, right, if he wants to? Uh, he could, yes. Yes, but yeah, again, he if would, he needed to sell it, he would still have to do a probate uh, that would take oh. nine months to uh, twelve months or more oh, from the date of, okay. from the time it is instituted. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, I think it does make sense. Uh, I'm just going to stick with that because uh, I cannot afford to go through that big estate thing. You know, uh, that was like a lot of money. Well, know? we tell yeah. people, you know, you can uh, pay now or pay later. Usually paying later is uh, more expensive. So, you know, look at some yeah. options. Um, generally, the cost of doing effective estate planning is less than the cost of probate. So, uh, again, there are options out there, and, um, yeah. you know, talk to a lawyer there in Jackson County. We have an office down on the Gulf Coast at Diamond Head where we see clients on a regular basis. So okay. we'd be happy to yeah. go over some of those options with you if you wanted and, to and do that. Not only that, but I got power of attorneys for the wife, my, my son, and myself. You know, uh, medical power of attorneys general or whatever, you know, that helps, right? It does the help. process of all this? It does help, okay. but we tell people that there can be real problems with powers of attorney. Powers of attorney are really only as good as the person they are presented to is willing to make them. Uh, there yeah. are banks that do business statewide that simply do not honor powers of attorney. So it's like we say, don't put all of your eggs in one basket. Don't be relying just on a power of attorney because uh -huh. it might not do the job you hope that it would do. So your uh, advice is probably go see an estate planner uh, attorney, right? Yes, sir. Anyway. If you need this type of assistance, go to the source. Don't try to do it yourself. Uh, again, on a Facebook comment this morning dealing with this do-it-yourself planning, I said, you know, if people tell me they're going to do it themselves, I just smile because I know that it means that another lawyer or I will probably be well paid to, uh, you know, straighten yeah. out the mess that's made. Yeah, but the attorney that I saw, he's a reputable guy here in Biloxi. I was, you know... The guy's reputable. Well, I understand. Uh, yeah. And, you know, he probably is offering you some good advice. So you just yeah. might need to look at some other options. Okay. Look, thank you for uh, your advice. And uh, I'm glad I talked to you. Glad you called in. Thank oh, yeah. you. Uh, thank you, Rick. You can send us your email questions to our address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing wills on our show frequently because that's something everybody needs. We're going to give you the dates for some of our podcasts next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is in legal terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live, so if you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Now, we have found our guest to be knowledgeable and agreeable, so we have him on the show frequently. You can find his podcasts on our September 7th, 2021, February 23rd of 2021, and March 31st of 2020. Our guest is attorney Kelly Kyle from the Kyle Wynn & Associates, and we're talking about wills. Professor Gershon, you wanted to say something, and I had to cut you off so we could take our break. No, it's not a problem. I'm so glad Kelly's on the show, and uh, really, we always get lots of great calls, and appreciate Rick calling in um, most recently. But, you know, Kelly, uh, Rick mentioned uh, transfer on death deeds, but they're also payable on death bank accounts. Do you recommend those? Yes, in some circumstances. um, You know, if someone has only one child and they want whatever they have in their bank account or investment account just to go directly to that child, that's a great way to avoid probate. You go into the bank, tell them who you want as your payable on death or POD beneficiary, and after your death, all the child has to do is come in with your death certificate and their ID, and the bank will pay the money over to them. Um, Like I said, it it will go directly to them. So we do recommend if children have uh, things like uh, creditors or if they're not responsible with money, uh, maybe leaving it to them through a trust or having somebody else have some uh, say-so over the money uh, can be an effective way. But again, if there are no considerations, just leaving it directly to someone as a POD beneficiary will work. But a... POD is not the same thing as a joint account. No, it's not. <laughs> and the once the person dies and you know mama's gone but you've still got her checking account or her visa card you should not continue to use that account even though she would want it paid for you need to get that transferred well if it's a joint account um, and one joint account holder dies then it's deemed under mississippi law to be the property of the other joint account holder so there's no reason not to be able to continue using it but if Um, it's not a joint account and it is a pod then it um would go to the POD beneficiary. The bank will not 
uh, allow anything else to go through until that POD beneficiary comes forward to claim the funds. All right. Let's go to Jesse in Flowood. Jesse, we are so glad that you've called in to in legal terms today. What's your comment or question? Yes. Uh, back in January, my mother had passed, and in her will, um, she had named me as both the executor and the sole beneficiary of uh, what little estate she did have, uh, which did include money, but it did include uh personal property and one uh, piece of uh, real property uh, in an RV that needs a title change. Now, I went to the tax assessor's office and they told me the will had to be probated before the title could be changed over to my name. My main question is, is there a time limit uh, for that will to be probated at all? Good question. There's not really a time limit for you to do that, but I would say that the sooner the better is probably the best answer there. Um, you mentioned that your mom does have real property. Um, if she did not, you probably could handle the matters of the personal property and the vehicle uh, through a couple of affidavits. But because there is real property, you are going to need to probate the will if you're going to be doing anything with the property, uh, the real property, that is, anytime soon. So um, Now, uh, would an RV, uh, a recreational vehicle, be considered real property, or would that be considered personal property? No, that's, that's personal property. Title. So is there, okay. is there any land? Uh, no, there's no land. It's it's just that one thing that needs to get a title change. Okay. And uh, are there bank accounts or financial assets solely in her name over $75,000 total? Uh, no, there's no money whatsoever. Okay. Then it sounds to me like you should be able to handle uh, what she has, the financial assets and the RV, with, number one, a small estate affidavit, which you would give to the bank, uh, and avoid probate there. And then the RV, which is a titled vehicle, could be handled with an affidavit that you can pull from the Department of Revenue's website. Okay. And you would fill in the affidavit, have it notarized, take it to the tax collector's office, and they will retitle it uh, in your name. Okay, so all it needs to do is called a affidavit of personal property, you said? No, it's a small estate affidavit for the financial assets, but the uh, RV will be an affidavit that you get from the Department of Revenue's website. If you'll just search Mississippi Department of Revenue uh, tag title forms, it'll take you right to the page, and it's very easily identifiable on that page, the document that you need. Okay. All right. Well, that's what I need to know. I sure appreciate it. Glad to hear from you. Thank you, Jesse. Rick, why would someone want to delay probate? Uh, Kelly? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we see people that uh, put off probate mainly because they don't have the attorney fees. 
to go through it. We will have uh, clients come in and grandpa passed away, then grandma passed away, and they had six kids, and some of those kids are deceased, and uh, the property has descended uh, through that family, and very often it's chopped up into uh, tiny little shares as small as 164th or 128th or something like that. And um, they just never did it in the first place because they didn't have the several thousand dollars that would that it would have cost. But putting it off means that it's going to cost even more money uh, to do it now to straighten out the mess that has resulted because of all of these heirs that all have to be joined uh, in the action to establish the ownership of it. And that's another show. We've uh, we've talked about heirs' property. That's, uh, that's I caught that show. That was a very good that's one. That's another one. Let's go to Oxford and talk with Martha. Martha, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms. Our guest is Attorney Kelly Kyle, and we're talking about wills and estates. How can we help you today? I have a question regarding power of attorney. I moved to Mississippi from Tennessee, and I brought with me a completely drawn-up power of attorney. Now, to make this in order, must I have it changed from Tennessee to Mississippi, or may I use the one I brought with me? Martha, let me just ask you one question. How old is that document? When did you have it executed? Well, I'd have to look at the date on the execution page to make sure. Let me just ask you, was it uh, more than, say, three years ago? Possibly. If it is, I would strongly suggest that you get an updated version. Um, I mentioned before that powers of attorney, it's better to have one than to be without, but there are problems with powers of attorney. Uh, People are sometimes suspicious of them or are a little reluctant to honor them. So one of the factors they're going to evaluate in determining whether to honor that power of attorney is how recently it was executed. And if it was more than a few years ago and there's a possibility that you could have executed another one that might have named somebody different in it as your agent, uh, they're probably going to be reluctant to honor it. So if it's older than three years executed in another state, uh, you would be doing yourself a favor by getting it brought up to date and making sure that the relevant Mississippi statutes are are, uh, referenced in it rather than the Tennessee statutes that it was uh, constructed under. I see what you're saying. Now, one other question, if I may. What generally is the cost of that? Well, every lawyer is going to be different. Uh, You know, I can't tell you uh, what one or more lawyers there in Oxford might charge. But I would say that if you called my office and said, I just need a power of attorney executed or, or excuse me, updated, um, I would ask you a couple of other questions. What other documents do you have in place? You may be leaving some things greatly uncovered if all you have is a power of attorney. We suggest that people have at a minimum a power of attorney, uh, a will, and an advanced health care directive. And if you did not have all of those, uh, I would try to package all three of those uh, into uh, something that would be hopefully attractive to you and and allow us to do all three of those for you and and make sure that you have at least the bases covered. And when we sat down to execute those documents, I would go over uh, some other alternatives as well uh, so that you might want to consider doing perhaps a revocable trust as we discussed earlier in the segment. 
and um, you know again just give you some options and uh, let you decide what's best for you and what is your legal law firm uh, my firm is Kyle Wynn and Associates and you can find us on the web at kyle-win.com that's k y l e w y n n and we don't have an office in Oxford. I wish we did, but uh, we do have an office in Hernando. That's not terribly far away from you. And we see clients there on a regular basis. So uh, look us up on the web. And if you think you would like to uh, talk with my law partner, Elizabeth, or me, uh, please let us know. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Nice to hear from you. Thank you, Martha. Yeah, we do enjoy having Kelly Kyle on our show. We've had a number of different uh, will attorneys on the show, and also uh, for folks statewide and, uh, well, I guess not worldwide, because you wouldn't need a Mississippi lawyer worldwide. Well, well maybe if, if someone is listening from Michigan and they need to fight probate because they own land in Mississippi, see, I'm, I'm listening, I'm paying attention. Do you know right now I have a probate uh, going on in DeSoto County? It's actually two probates. Uh, a woman who passed away, her brother died uh, a week or so later. So he inherited everything from her, and he left two daughters, one of whom lives in London, England. And we have had lots of hoops to jump through. Wow. Getting her signature on the documents notarized. It's been very difficult due to COVID for her to go to the U.S. Embassy and get her signature notarized there. So, yeah, I, I actually do have clients um, in other countries as well. Wow. Well, what I was going to say is the Mississippi Bar has a great page. If you need any kind of legal help, they'll list clinics. They list uh, uh, attorneys msbar.org is another way that you can look but also we've also talked about ask your friends ask your neighbors who do they like email us your questions our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org we're talking with attorney kelly kyle about wills how many Americans don't have a will? If you've been listening to the show, you already know. But we'll talk about that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings from the website 
mpbonline.org slash radio. This morning we're talking about wills and estates with our guest Kelly Kyle. And, uh, you know, according to an AARP survey, 60% of Americans lack a will or estate planning. Professor Gershon, that's just, that's a shame. But you, your law students don't lack a will, isn't that correct? Well, uh, they they might, but they won't lack an advanced health care director. Oh, okay, that's what you have them do. Yeah, I have them do an advanced health care director because really young people, I mean, most of them, I do have have, uh, students from all ages, actually, but especially the ones who are, you know, just in their early 20s, may not yet need a full-on estate plan because they might not have, you know, uh, a spouse and children yet. It might just be them so far. Um, They do have families, of course, but... An advanced health care directive is something everybody has, including young people, because the chances of being disabled uh, are greater than the chance of dying early, and we need to all think about that. That's true of any age. The chances of being disabled are actually uh, greater in the, in, in the next few months than of actually dying. So we should have uh, plans for that as well, and we've done shows on that. But today, I'm glad we're talking about a state plan with Kelly Kyle and uh, Kelly. I know we I know we have calls, Liz, but I do want to say: Are there things? That, is there information we should be sharing with families beyond just the will? I mean, would you, for example, funeral wishes shouldn't be necessarily part of a will because that might be too late by the time you get there. Uh, yeah, to read the will that needs to be uh, kept in a separate document that would be easily accessible. People tend to put their wills and powers of attorney and things like that away, sometimes in a safe deposit box or something like that. So, uh, there, like you said, there could be days, weeks, or months before those documents are ever accessed. So, uh, the funeral wishes things like that even uh we recommend for some people write your own obituary you know uh only you know what your wishes are as to what you would want people to know about you after you've passed away um so go ahead and do that keep the things up to date you know what you've done your honors accomplishments things like that that you would want known and make sure that that is located somewhere that someone would have ready access to it again in the event of your death sudden or otherwise all right, John Travis and Jesse, hang on. Marsha, you get the prize because you have been holding on so for very long. Thank you for calling us from Hattiesburg. Marsha, what is your comment or question? Hi. I've been asked by an old friend to be the executor of her estate, um, and I agreed to that. She has one disabled daughter and um, and, and assets, homes, cars, you know, I'm sure finances. Should I be doing something ahead of time? Should I ask her to take me to her attorney and that we talk ahead of time so this is not something that that is all of a sudden? Or should I have said no to something like that? Well, it all depends, I guess, on how good a friend this is to you. And um, know that being an executor is not you know, it, it's not overly involved uh, and won't require a tremendous amount of time, but it will require some of your time and efforts. And um, going to see the attorney right now may or may not be a good idea. Uh, I suppose it might be a good idea just to put a name with the face and know who you'll be dealing with eventually. But you mentioned that your friend has a disabled daughter, and do you know if a special needs trust has been established for that daughter? Um, 
you know, you I'm might not sure. you might uh, want to find out about that because this arrangement might require you being uh, the trustee of that special needs trust after you have finished the preliminary work of being executor of the estate. A special needs trust is very effective for uh, protecting an inheritance and um, allowing someone who is disabled to collect government benefits that they might already be receiving even after that estate is left to them. So uh, you, again, might be named also as trustee of that special needs trust and would be charged with distributing the assets to that disabled beneficiary, but always doing it in such a manner as not to disqualify uh, her from the benefits that she might already be receiving that might be paying for uh, her care in a facility or whatever it might be. Okay. Um, and it's not a risk to me. It's just time. That's right. You're not putting your personal assets on the line or anything like that. If your friend had, uh, for instance, more creditors than assets, you would not be responsible for making up the difference or anything like that. Uh, but again, it is something that does require sometimes a substantial uh, effort. So just be sure you know what you're getting into. Okay. This was very helpful. Thank you so much. Marsha, you might want to suggest to your friend that they listen to our podcast. We did have a show about a special needs trust. It was from October 27th of 2020, where we had an attorney talk about special needs trusts. So good luck, Marsha. We're glad that you've called in. And check out our podcast. We've, we've covered a lot of subjects, and there might be something if we touch on here, we've touched on on other shows. Let's go to John in Mobile. John, thank you so much for calling in from Alabama. What's your comment or question for our attorney? Uh, I'd like to ask uh, Mr. Uh, Kyle about um, an estate which uh, seems to have gone into limbo. Um, two years ago, my brother passed away in uh, Florida, and in conversations with my sister after I informed her of his uh, passing, since she was uh, had been um, a paralegal and legal secretary, uh, I agreed that uh, she should handle... Uh, his estate. He apparently passed away without a will, so it was going to have to be probated, and she would handle that. Uh, in later conversations with her uh, via phone, uh, and she lives in a different state, I mean, up the East Coast, um, in later conversations, she asked uh, some piece, for some pieces of information, and then about August of last year, uh, I uh, since August of last year, I received no communication from her whatsoever. Um, I did receive um, uh, uh, communication from a uh, credit union where my brother had an account offering me a share of an account, and I agreed to accept that via check. But uh, uh, since then, no other information. So um, it looks like I'm going to have to uh, pick up the trail somehow and find out what's going on. How do I do that? Do you know what county your brother lived in? Yes, I do. He passed away in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay. Um, I forget what county that is. Um, 
Duval. I, Duval. Okay, sounds good. Um, check with uh, one of the courts in Duval County, Florida. I don't know what type of court system they have there here in Mississippi. As you heard me say before, we probate estates in the Chantry Court. I have no idea what it might be in Florida. But uh, all court proceedings are open. Um, a lot of them are uh, readily available on the Internet. You might be able to uh, establish an account and sign in and view documents online. But um, I would start with a phone call to uh, one of the clerks of court in Duval County, Florida. Ask them if, if this is the court that handles probates. If not, can they please give you a phone number to the one that does? Give them your brother's name. They should be able to give you very basic information about the estate. And like I said, once you have that established, you might even be able to start looking at court records online and see what's going on. And... Um, you might need to look at getting an attorney there in Duval County to represent your interest if it appears that your sister is not acting um, in everyone's best interest. I see. Okay. Uh, thank you. Can you answer one other quick question? I'll sure try. Why did that uh, credit union, why did the credit union representative seem so hesitant to uh, answer any questions that I had about uh, my brother's uh, account or accounts, uh, it seemed as if uh, they were uh, very, very leery about offering any information. Could there be anything about that? Is there uh, any kind of um, block against divulging information to a relative? Well, if they called and, as you said, offered you a share in the credit union, uh, that obviously had something to do with an account that your brother had there. So. If they were willing to offer that to you, I don't know why they wouldn't have been more forthcoming about the uh, account. I, I don't know. There's just not enough information there for me really to answer that fully. Actually, I thought it was mysterious, too. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Kyle. Thanks for your call. Thanks, John. We're going to push through. Let's go to Travis in Biloxi. Travis, thanks so much for calling in legal terms today. Our guest is Kelly Kyle from Kyle Wynn, and we're talking about estates and trusts. Travis, what's your comment or question? Um, well, first, uh, good morning to you guys, and thank you for doing this. As, as y'all were talking on the phone, I kind of had some other questions uh, come up while y'all were talking, but uh, I wanted to ask, so with uh, with titles, like, could you sign those titles and maybe put in a box and then after you die, let people know where that box is and then they could just take those titles and put them in their name? Um, and then second, I, I had a question about life estates versus these transfer on death uh, deeds that you're talking about. Um, if one of them is better than the other. And then lastly, people keep talking about power of attorneys. And is that the power of attorney, is that only good while you're alive, I would think, not after you die? So um, I, I know that's a mouthful for you guys, uh, but I'm hoping that y'all can help clear some of that up. 
Yeah, let's start with the, the titles. We also need a bill of sale. Not only we, we're trying to give my son a vehicle and realized you not only have to sign the title over, you need a bill of sale. Yeah, you can do that. And um, we I know it has been a practice in um, Mississippi over a number of years, even to have deeds prepared to property and um sign them now and then hold them in the safe deposit box or something and have them filed after death. Um, We don't really recommend doing that. There can be problems with it, particularly if you um, sell all or part of the property during your lifetime. It can be confusing when people start looking at the deeds and the legal descriptions often uh, don't include the street address. It's hard to ascertain what particular uh, parcel of property it refers to. You can uh, sign the title on vehicles and... um, Liz, I'm not entirely sure, but I think if it's just like a transfer between family members, a bill of sale is not really necessary because the bill of sale is only required to determine the amount of tax that may be Now, in Washington State, even if it's a gift, it needed a a bill of sale. We recently found out. Okay. Well, I uh, have only been to Washington State a couple of times in my life, so I certainly don't know anything about their probate or other property transfer laws. But going back to Travis's question, uh, let me answer the easiest one first. You asked, is it true that a power of attorney is only valid while someone is alive? That is exactly how that works. And um, like we said, even while you're alive, that power of attorney may not be honored because, uh, again, if you walk into a bank with a power of attorney over someone and uh, they have an account with that bank, uh, the person you're dealing with in the bank is perfectly within their rights to pass the power of attorney back across the desk and say, I'm sorry, we don't honor powers of attorney. And we do see that happen fairly frequently. Um, The value of a life estate deed versus a transfer on death deed. People are familiar with the term life estate. I was on the phone with someone yesterday who kept referring to it as a lifetime estate, and it gets the message across, but it's not technically the correct term. But um, people will do that as a means of do-it-yourself estate planning. They will uh, convey their property to their children but retain a life estate for themselves. That means they have the ability to occupy the property for the remainder of their lifetime. And then when they die, the life estate goes away. Uh, So the child owns the property uh, outright. That is a more effective way of doing it than a transfer on death deed because by uh, making the property transfer effective immediately uh, at the execution of the deed but reserving the life estate, creditor claims would not still attach to it. So it makes it... uh, more marketable. It gets around the issue that we talked about in the first part of the program. So um, does that answer your question? I know that's kind of chopped up a little bit there, but I I think we covered all of those issues. Absolutely. And I I think that uh, one other thing with the life estate that I think would be important to mention is the fact that you can, uh, if you do it within five prior to five years of becoming on Medicaid or something like that, you can actually protect the asset from the government. That, that is a good point. Um, if a 
transfer of property is done five years before you go to a nursing home or need Medicaid benefits to pay for a nursing home, that property is outside of the five-year look-back period. But again, one of those reasons that we sometimes caution people about doing uh, a life estate deed is that you are transferring at least a portion of the value of that property to your child. So if you need nursing home care within five years, it is going to disqualify you from Medicaid benefits. And um, once the property is transferred to the child, uh, even if you need to get on Medicaid, the child has no obligation uh, legally. Maybe there's a moral obligation, but legally they're not required to transfer the property back just because now you find yourself disqualified from Medicaid and can't afford to pay for a nursing home. So we advise people be very careful about doing these uh, transfers during their lifetime. Thank you so much. Thank you, Travis. Let's go to our last call is Jesse from Jackson. Jesse, thank you so much for hanging on. I, I told you it was a popular show and you had to get your phone calls in early. Jesse, what's your comment or question for our attorney, Kelly Kyle, on wills and estates day on In Legal Terms? Well, my question is, if you only have one heir, could you avoid uh, the need for any probate or potentially any will if all assets were jointly owned. Jesse, uh, if as I'm just going to restate what you said, yes, if you have one heir and make uh, that heir a joint owner on all of your property, yes, there would be no probate after your death. Um, nothing really would have to be done. But we caution people about putting a child's name on property with them because sometimes children uh, may not follow in our footsteps. They may not be as reliable as we would like them to be. And if you have a child on the deed to your house with you and the child winds up in financial problems, if they have creditors knocking on the door, if they get sued, if they are in the middle of a divorce, then that asset is treated as, as much their asset as it is yours. So uh, your children's creditors can become big problems for you if the child is on your property or your bank accounts. So if you don't have any concerns whatsoever, uh, that may be a good way to go about it. But if you think there is a possibility that a marriage could go south or uh, a child could be irresponsible and, like I said, have legal problems, you might want to reconsider that plan. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you, Jesse. Now, we did get an email. Actually, it came to the Money Talks email address, but I have access to both email addresses, so I've shared that with Kelly Kyle. The email address, if you would like to contact us, is legalterms at mpbonline.org. This person was asking about an irrevocable trust. My ex-father-in-law left a significant amount of money to my youngest daughter, and my older daughter is the trustee of my, her special needs trust account. The first question, does the older daughter, the trustee, have the right to the funds? Uh, the short answer to that is no. The trustee does not have rights to use those funds for her benefit. The special needs trust has been established for, as I understand it in the question, the benefit of the younger daughter, and the older daughter is just the trustee. So she, uh, while she would have signing authority on the funds uh, that are in this trust, 
she could not use them for her own benefit. They would have to be used solely for the benefit of the beneficiary. So the trustee is an active service member. If she were deployed, who then is in charge of the trust and funds? Oh, we got to go. We don't have time. I'll, I'll send this email to you, and then we'll get this back to Very good. Our, I'll be glad to get a personal it, response out. It goes by so fast, Professor Gershon. Can you believe it? No, but it's a good show. We appreciate Kelly being here. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, Kelly Kyle, for being on our show. Thank you, intern Charles and Jay White, for helping us put on our show. And for Professor Richard Gershon, who does host from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. find autocorrect helpful especially on coach charlie's tip of the week listen to our podcast with me coach charlie melton on any podcasting platform or on the mpb public media app this is an mpb think radio podcast